Welcome to Stateside F1. I'm Joe Leonardo. That man making the sound of, I'm going to say, him at a BMW school learning how to drift is Andrew Berger. Hello, everyone. How are you? Good to be here. And we are talking Andrew and his brothers, the Burger Boys. They're here. Whoop, whoop. And their excellent BMW M School weekend. So, Joe, I'm so excited to be discussing my past weekend with my brothers, Ethan and Matthew, because this has been, this is almost, or maybe even more important than my bar mitzvah to me. This transcends religion. Definitely more transformative to our lives, yeah. More impactful. Joe, our instructors were professional race car drivers. They raced in NASCAR truck racing, in GT4, endurance racing, in Formula 4 racing, which is a step going to Formula 1, and a member of the United States Army and a former cop were our teachers. Ooh. So the BMW M school, you guys did the two-day school? Correct. Yes. We did a two-day school in their North American plant in uh, Spartansburg, South Carolina, which is where they manufacture their uh, their X vehicles. Very cool. So you guys were in South Carolina for the weekend doing the two-day school. Did you also get a tour of the manufacturing plant? Unfortunately, no. That was extra. <laughs> Basically, our ticket was... Uh, the M2 competition, the M3, M4 competition as well, and all of the maintenance. <laughs> so they filled up the cars with gas and they would replace the tires and do maintenance on the brakes and whatever and take care of all the cars. That's awesome. And you, like Andrew, you were saying that you guys had all these really cool in, uh, instructors and everything and you got there was a closed circuit there that you were able to race these cars at? Yeah, yeah. they have their own private like autocross section and twists and turns and even they have a high speed track which we didn't get to go on though it was like a long straightaway very cool so one of you walk me through the whole experience from beginning to end go for it boys so we get there day one they tell us to turn DSC off and they say kick it (laughs) I'm kidding Uh, we get there day one and we're a group of say 15 people Um, we were amongst the three youngest there and you know it ranged from everyone Husbands and wives, girlfriends and boyfriends, all the way up to this seventy-year-old man who was there with his with his uh, son-in-law, just wanting to have a good weekend. And we had a classroom session for about, I'd say, an hour, just to explain what the program was to us, explain the racetrack, explain what we were going to be doing, and then they split us up into three groups of five. And then that's how they determined which cars we would go into. And we first went into the BMW M3s, and they had us do this half of the circuit uh, and they used cones to dictate where they wanted us to be and close off parts of the track that we weren't supposed to go to and uh, taught us how to break. It was a turn uh, entry course for our morning, uh, for our first session of the morning where we they taught us how to break and turn into a corner and where to keep our eyes and where to look and uh, and how to control the car going into the corner. Very cool. Is like the goal of this class for speed or to like avoid, you know what I mean? Like, is it like, this is what happens if you slip on black ice and how to save yourself? Or is it, it like- wasn't a car control course. It was a performance-based course. So the the classroom sessions at the beginning of the day, we would talk about going to the 
all of the different physics that the car would be uh, experiencing during corner entry and hitting the apex. We talked about the appropriate line through a corner. And then we also talked about how to comp, if we were going into two consecutive corners, we talked about how to compromise the first corner so that we can get a better exit on the second corner. Talked about how to double apex. We talked about uh, what tires would lose uh, traction first if you're hitting a corner at speed and how to manage uh, oversteer and understeer. So then when we got into the cars, we would do a, a slow lap with the instructors. We'd even do, so we'd drive around the exercise with the instructors and even sometimes we'd hop into the instructor's M5 and they would do a hot lap for us just so they can demonstrate how, the, uh, how it should feel and how it should go. And then they'd put us in the car and they'd say go, and we'd all take turns. Are you driving standard or are you on the paddles? Standard, you mean like automatic? Oh, paddles. We are paddles, yeah. So we are in the M3 and M4 competition, and those cars are uh, automatic only, actually. The new M cars have an automatic transmission rather than the old M cars, which either were standard only or had a dual clutch transmission. Uh, but all these cars were, were automatic with paddles. Damn, I wonder if I just aged myself. Like, do they even make the old school shifter cars? It's a rare find these days. No, the, the M cars are in air manual transmission. There's a six-speed manual you can get in those cars if you're interested. But that's the non-competition version. So it's the car with less horsepower, a, a little bit less horsepower. So did you guys compete amongst yourselves? Yeah. Of course they, we did. We're brothers. We, we, the competition was very <laughs> yeah. high. So at the end of day one, they had a half of the of the compound. They set up a, a hot lap, for, a track for not a hot lap, a track for us where they had this really long back straight. We'd hit at least 110 miles an hour. We'd brake hard and enter half the skid pad, and then we'd drive through like bob and weave through everything. And they timed us and they did it NASCAR style. So we had an out lap, two hot laps, and then an in lap. And I was victorious and got gold medal. Uh, out of the 15 people in the in, Oh, uh, and you're holding the up the medal. Oh, yeah. That's I was sick. four tenths faster than second and eight tenths faster than third. And I spoke to the, the instructor who was timing me. I went to him afterwards and he goes, dude, I don't know what you did there because you went a second and a half faster than your first lap. I know I didn't fuck up the actual stopwatch. Like, what the fuck happened there? <laughs> That's awesome. Do you actually feel the difference when you're talking about like one second or half a second or whatever between laps? Like, because yeah, when we're watching Formula One, it's like, oh, uh, you know, between first and last is like, can be like a fraction of a second, right? Is that something that you can actually feel in the car? Or is it you You find out afterwards once you park, like, oh, wait a minute, this lap was faster than this lap. And, oh, this one really crapped the bed, but this one was great. Yeah, you definitely feel it when you're going around. You definitely feel it when you're going around the track. Like, oh, I, I took that turn so much faster this time, or I just nailed this breaking point type of thing. Um, and they had us keep stability control on the entire time. They didn't want us to kill the car or ourselves, which I thank them sure. for. And uh, so, you know, if you're on the gas too early the inside tires would break themselves to keep traction or it would cut engine power. So if you're able to minimize that and control your throttle inputs more, then you would have a better exit. And you could definitely feel that. Uh, either you would look down, your speedometer was much higher at the end of the straight, or uh, you know, you would just feel it. You would definitely feel that it was a better lap than it was before. Whether I can notice a couple tenths, no. But if, if it was a second and a half where it just... A clean lap versus a slower lap, yeah, you, you could just kind of tell. Well, I will also add to that. In uh, 
in my experience, I thought I was slower. I got out of the car like, ugh, I just need that third lap to really get it. Because at least for us, uh, we were the green group and we had uh, the exercise before our our fast hot laps was an exercise in handling in the M2s. So we would do a slalom course and then we'd have to do a hard hard right hand into an uphill and then to stop the our times, we need to brake as hard as we could and stop the car within a box. So my perception of braking was a little bit skewed because I was so used to slamming the brakes at the end of the run that I felt that during my hot laps, I was compromising my own braking, especially when we were going down that straightaway hitting 110 miles an hour. And we had to brake from 110 to about, I would say, 40, 45 miles an hour to hit that left turn. That's so interesting. It feels like from what you guys are explaining that a lot of this is like working around the car's technology, right? Because the like you said, there's like slip control and stuff and it will affect your performance. You almost have to push it to the line before that safety stuff activates. Yeah. Yeah. On the last day, I felt myself yelling at the car like, no, I can handle it. Like, you don't need to do that. Like, I, could, I got it. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. It's Yeah, it really helps you kind of see the line of, I mean, like a race car driver, they they actually depicted it on a graph. Like if you're going on a bell curve, let's say, like the limit is like at the tip of the bell curve where you lose control of the car. But there's like a limit right under it where it's like, all right, the car is feeling good. Like this is where you're pushing the car enough to get that extra tenth of a second and not like spinning out and losing control on the track. And the stability control in those cars is meant to help you. It's meant to correct you because the you know it thinks that you might be losing control of the car, whereas you're not. You're just pushing it to kind of get the car to move in a specific way to shave those tenths of a second off. So that's why I would say race car drivers might do better with the stability control off because the car is kind of unhinged and, you know, they're professionals, so they kind of know how to, you know, use it to their advantage. And almost like what was mentioned before was they don't want you destroying the car. Yeah. Where like with Formula One cars is they know that cars are going to be crashed and they budget accidents. Obviously, they don't want them to happen, but they don't want to put something in the car that can affect it in a way that it doesn't get that fraction of a second everyone's racing at that line, right? So you're just, it's almost like that um, Al Pacino speech in any given Sunday. He's like, it's about, it's a game about inches, right? Your fingernails can make a difference. It's either, you know, you do it right or you hit the wall. Right. A hundred percent. Like, they also explained it as when you're hitting that limit, that's how you know you're making a good decision or that's how you know you're doing it right because you, you can't be pushing it more. The car is just not letting you push it too far to where you can't control it. Um, also, F1 drivers have such fast reaction speed that they could feel when the wheels are slipping. Uh, so they'll be able to react accordingly. Something that in the classroom session that was really interesting to learn about was this physics lesson about tires, about static friction versus dynamic friction. And once you lose, so you know your tire is going straight or say it's experiencing a, a lot of friction during through a corner, say, uh, you know, you're turning left and once you once it starts to slip a little bit, that's when it changes from static friction to dynamic friction. So once that once it's broken, once you're starting to slip, you're basically going to keep slipping unless you do something about it quickly to recover it. Because 
dynamic friction is usually lower than static friction. I, I don't want to bore about all these the, this this physics nonsense, but it was really cool to learn about and also experience that on the track in real time. I mean, I would say the difference between both, I don't know which is which, I don't remember, but basically if you're going too fast and you try to turn the wheels, it's understeer. So you'll like, if you turn the wheels and you're going 80 miles per hour and you're trying to turn at a curve that you need to be going 40 miles per hour, they'll just continue to go straight. Whereas if you do it the right way, you'll slow down by taking your foot off the gas and braking before the turn and the car will just be able to kind of go into the turn at a, you know, at the correct speed and, uh, you know, make the turn instead of throw you into the wall. Is it like Formula One in terms of like if the tires are warmer, they grip better? Or is it you're not at that speed where it makes a difference? Mm, we're not at that speed. It's a very different type of car, too. And in the debrief of our class, the instructor said, look, this was a class to teach you the fundamentals of performance driving. So it taught us how to look ahead instead of looking, look ahead for the, for the next turn in point for the next apex and keep your head up on a swivel instead of looking directly in front of you. It wasn't a class to hunt for those tenths and to be the fastest you possibly can. It was to give you experience so you can feel comfortable in how these cars can perform, to know that you could drive these on the road and to really understand the limits of what these cars can do as well as, I mean, sell you on them. I mean, sure. they said they didn't sell cars, but, you know, they sell cars. Yeah. Those M3s and M4s were just a dream to drive. And at least for me, walking out of it, if I'm ever in the front seat of that car again, I'm just going to be yelling at myself because I know what these can, these machines can do, and I just can't legally do it. <laughs> now, this is a safe space. Right. So everyone can speak their mind. They don't need to. There's no fear of retribution. How well did Andrew do? I have a couple great videos of Andrew hitting some sick spin outs <laughs> on the skid pad. What do you mean? I had some great drifts. We got some pretty good footage of you drifting, too. You did really well, Andrew. I would say if you had to send me to Japan to take the title of Drift King, you would send me. I'd probably send Matthew. <laughs> oh, Matthew, I think out of the three of us really had a, a strong uh, understanding of how to do it. How would you rate yourselves for uh, for the top three, since there's only three of you for drifting? Who would be first, second, and third? I think I'd, me, I'd Andrew, third. then Ethan. Yeah, I'd be last. Oh, Now, is it a huge uh, difference? So Ethan is really fast at like on a circuit. He's able to really push the car and be very aggressive with it. But then that same aggressiveness hits when he's on a skid pad uh, and his throttle input's way too severe. So so he can't really drift it like me and Andrew can. I, I prematurely apply my throttle so I get a little bit more understeer than I do oversteer, which I was slowly learning and figuring that out on my own. First of all, I got to say, you guys are so nice to each other. If this was <laughs> me and my brother, we would be screaming at each other, <laughs> putting the other person down. <laughs> I'm like trying to instigate a fight. And you guys are like, well, he wasn't as good, but he was good in this other uh, fact. <laughs> Actually, you know, I was going a little soft in the thing. I'm like, what is this? I am upset that I hit a really gnarly power slide into uh, some cones that no one was able to capture on their phone. Hi everybody, Joe Leonardo here. And this is Andrew Berger. 
Along with being the hosts of Stateside F1, Andrew and I are audio engineers with thousands of hours of podcast experience. Between the both of us, we've worked with a wide variety of companies from Google to Discovery as editors, mixers, sound designers, and even social media managers. If it's a companion podcast for a TV show or just a hobby among friends, we can help you with your podcast. Feel free to reach out to us at statesideF1 at gmail.com. We had, uh, for the communication with the instructors, they had walkie-talkies in our, uh, in our cars in the, in the front, in the door pocket. And so as we were driving, they would obviously be radioing us saying what we should do, what we're doing. And so this uh, Devin, the GT4 driver for Beamer World, was like, oh, Ethan, you got it. Finally. Oh, crap. And then I just slammed into two green reference cones for us, for the track. <laughs> it was, so yeah, they had all these cones. So obviously, like they had, it was, it was blue, green, and red. So red cones, there was actually, it's, it was very much like Gran Turismo. They would have like three red cones, then two red cones, and one red cone. And they would, like the red cones would indicate when to start your braking. And then the blue cone would indicate when to start your turn into the corner. And, the, and then the green cone would be the apex of the corner. And then the, uh, the other blue cone would be what they call track out, which is where you should start completing your turn and unwinding your steering wheel and start applying throttle. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's essentially obviously what they do in Formula One, but, you know, they don't need the cones. But it was also very much like figuring out how much braking to apply at a specific point. Like how long should you be standing on the brake pedal versus just kind of like lightly tapping it? And then as you go into the corner, when should you start applying the throttle? And it's, it's really like, it really just made me look at Formula One drivers in a whole other light. Because these guys, you know, for Ethan and Matthew and I, it was impressive to us that we could get a good lap, you know, one good lap. Whereas Charles Leclerc, uh, Hamilton, Max Verstappen, they're doing it consistently for two hours, you know, and then the practice session, the race, the qualifying. And then the car changes with the amount of gas it has in it. So the weight. Yeah. Then there's tires affect that and all that. So there's, there's so many different variables that happen that affect the car. And yeah. so keeping on that, that line is different. Yeah. So the, the track, even though it doesn't physically change, the track changes. Because oh, the yeah. car changes. And, and you could see the racing line rubber in as well. Um, especially our, our second day there, it was raining. So you could kind of see what parts of the track were wetter than others and where you wanted to be. I can't imagine how these Formula One drivers race in the rain and contin- consistently push these cars to, to the maximum limit. You know, they're not, they're not just trying to go around to survive. They're trying to go around to win and go fast. It's crazy. A lot of it, I feel like, is um, the unsung heroes is the sims, is the simulators. They yeah. spend so much hours in those simulators going over those tracks, right? And like we think of Formula One as them being in the cars, but I think a majority of the time for them is being in those simulators. You know what? It makes me think, because I know the FIA has limits on the amount of hours they can spend in the simulator at the factory. But, you know, now that simulation technology, you know, is more consumer technology these days you know max verstappen could have like a ten thousand you know he could have like a ten thousand dollar race simulator just in his apartment 
And I think just, he does have one, at least $20,000 simulator in his apartment. Yeah. <laughs> Their simulator at the factory could cost upwards of 60 grand because you have full-time engineers just trying to develop these complex tire models or, or uh, suspension geometries in the simulator to, to try to mimic exactly how the car drives in real life, which, you know, any c- computer programmer out there knows how difficult that could be, but these engineers really do it well. Well, that's, that's the difference between all of it because all they have all the data that they're getting through, tr- through race weekend is being translated into a digital, a digital twin of the actual car that they're using on the simulator. So they could race at home on the simulator and learn the track that way. But when they're in their respective factories in the doing simulator time, they're essentially driving a virtual car of that year, which is why I guess the FIA would limit it because it would give them too much time in the car, theoretically. Wasn't Speaking of the FIA, wasn't there some controversy with uh, Mohammed bin Salayim? Didn't, didn't the FIA, didn't, he said something and even Formula One was like, hey man, can you, can you not? Do you know what he said? No, because if I knew what he said, I'd be a good podcaster. So so I, I think I know what he said. or I don't know. I don't have the quote in front of me, but I think I know the basic context. So we all know Andretti uh, and I, is trying to get into Formula One. And I personally really, really hope they do. And, and they have GM now uh, as backing as their uh, potential engine supplier. But so... After they got the GM backing, uh, the FIA then further upped the pot of how much they'll need to spend. Because from what I understand is all the F1 teams agreed in 2021 that these are the parameters that a new team would need to pay to get into the series. But they really undersold that, undersold the value of each each team would lose if a new team entered the fray, if they were now going to be 11 teams. So they're trying to milk more and more money from Andretti. They already paid $200 million in cash. They already have an, an, an amazing uh, race team uh, in any car success that they could point to. Uh, and they already have Cadillac as a backing, as a manufacturing backing to further strengthen their case. But they still want to um, try to get more money from Andretti. So and Mohammed Ben Sulayim, excuse me if I... Uh, uh, mispronounced that. No, that's his name. You got it. Was really angry with the FIA saying, um, we want to ensure the championship. Ethan just pulled it up for me. Thank you. Um, M- MBS said, we want to make sure the championship remains credible and stable to any new entrant request. will be assessed on criteria to meet those objectives by all the relevant stakeholders. So he's saying, like, they, the, why is the FIA changing these goalposts as a new team is trying to enter the fray? Like, why is that happening? This isn't really okay. This shouldn't be okay. But everyone is kind of not being angry with it. Um, but MBS is trying to take a stand. Formula One. So Saudi Arabia was looking to purchase Formula One for $20 billion. Like, buy the commercial rights for Formula One's. But Formula One was sold in like 2017, I thought, or 2015 to the U.S. Liberty, company. Uh, Liberty to, to Liberty Media, Media. that's yeah, right. to Liberty Media. So I haven't heard of anything about Formula One being up for sale. So maybe Liberty Media was like, what the hell? Oh, yeah. You guys know Toto Wolf is selling one of his cars. Yeah. I. Which car is he selling? He's selling his Ferrari F50. That was a 40. Guys, let's start a Kickstarter. See yes. if we can get this car. It would be the company vehicle for stateside F1. 
you know, I, I think our fans would, would be able to help us. You know, you, I was just talking about this earlier today. You know how when Kylie Jenner was going to become a billionaire, her fans sent her free money to become a billionaire? Mm-hmm. I, I, I think our fans have the same enthusiasm for yes, us. Yes, I think our fans slash fan will help us out. Yes. <laughs> if each one of our fans sends us $1 each, okay, we will have upwards to $12. <laughs> well, Ethan just looked it up, and excuse me, it was the F40, and it's expected to go for uh, over $3 million. So I think if every fan gives us $2, we'll easily be able to afford it. All right. If all of our fans gave us each $500,000, <laughs> easy, we will be easy. able to afford this car. I, I think it's a goal that we could potentially reach. We could do it. We could do it. Uh, all right. Wrapping this up. Everyone give me uh, brief highs and lows of the weekend. All right. Go, boys. Well, the lows were constantly being stuck behind slower drivers. And the pro was getting that gold medal and being eight tenths faster than Matthew Berger. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, I think I should respond to that, but I'm going to let you sit on your high horse. <laughs> what were the highs and lows for you, Matthew? My high was definitely so we did one uh, on the second day, we did this. Uh, figure eight race where you brought us to a section of the track. They set up these cones to, to be in this figure eight. Uh, and we were in the BMW M2, which is my favorite car. It's the shortest wheelbase and it, it's just so adorable. And it's an awesome car with the inline six engine. And we were supposed to drift kind of around. They had us turn DSC off and they were supposed, we were supposed to kind of drift around the corner to, uh, uh, to reach the, the, the other side and then, you know, do the same thing the other way. And, on my eighth lap, my final lap, I just was able to hit it perfectly and power slide each direction. Uh, and I think we got it on video, but it just felt so satisfying to, to do it and to do it right. And to go, I think it was uh, 0.6 seconds or 7 tenths faster than, than Ethan Berger. So I guess, I guess that was the high. <laughs> and the low is being slower than Ethan, of course. Of course. Andrew... What are your highs and lows? See, I really enjoyed the figure eight race on Sunday, which is when it was raining all day. I thought, I think Sunday was was the big high for me because it was raining all day. So I never thought I'd get to learn how to drive a performance car in the rain. It made me feel like some, like, you know, a competent racer. It made me feel like I was in Formula One because all the instructors were like, all right, guys, like, this is rain, so you actually have to take this seriously. You can't just floor it like you were yesterday. <laughs> How much rain are we talking about here? It's like it's like pretty steady rain all day. There's some standing water on the track. Could have been maybe an inch of rain. Not too much, but you know enough to impact our decisions on on the track. Yeah, like we they would they said we lost about forty percent of grip, so that we like I I actually I experienced it because when we were when we were racing the full track, which was wild because they had, they had more or less like the best turns of every formula one track in this one little track. They had like a bus stop chicane. They had like S curves that were like downhill. And then they had a straight with a curve to the left that was uphill. So you couldn't 
when you're going downhill on the S curves, you couldn't see until you were at the turn, like turning. So if like if you were going too fast, you would have ended up in the grass. Like you would have gotten air if you were just like, all right, I'm gonna floor it. And um I the drifting was really fun because it was you just looked like you were driving like a hero when you drifted the car when you had it sideways. You just felt so cool. The low, see, it's hard to think of a low. You know, maybe it, it was definitely being behind some of the slower drivers because they the instructors were watching. So if we were behind a slow driver, they would pull us in. Or, you know, they'd pull the slow driver in so that the faster driver could pass. And, uh, but yeah, being behind, I was behind some slow drivers for a few laps and it was, it was extremely painful. Thank you for listening to Stateside F1 and big thank you to the Burger Boys, Matthew and Ethan Burger. Please like, comment, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your sweet, sweet podcast content. Follow us on Instagram at StatesideF1 and TikTok at StatesideF1 Podcast. And feel free to DM us. Send us memes, comments, questions, suggestions, etc. We will respond and follow you back. See y'all next week. Bye. Thank you. Later.